let me be me. Finally consoling from years of mine that was stolen A sea of creativity coming just like an ocean I've fallen in love with music as if I drank a potion My rhyming and my producing has never been more potent I've overcome my challenge and life has been more imbalanced Then people want to judge me on everything but my talent They saying that I'm old like it's something I can't control Aging is part of the package deal of having a soul And what do you know, all you got to do is play the role Of living life and just breathing Lines start to... Welcome to the Michael M. Hotep Show right here on the Empowerment Radio Network where knowledge is power. Today is Thursday, March 2nd, 2017, and we are live today. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on in the news. It's been very, very busy. It's been very hectic. Um, so we're here live today for a little while. We did not get a chance to broadcast live on Tuesday. Did not get a chance to broadcast live on Tuesday. Um, so I'm going to cover the information that I already had laid out on Tuesday. All right. It's been hectic and uh, I've been spending time with my new daughter um, and my fiance. So. Um, we haven't been on live since Monday. Okay. All right. So, uh, we had, I had the show laid out for, uh, Tuesday, but did not get a chance to, uh, do that show. So we're going to cover that information today and then tomorrow we'll cover information from, I guess, Thursday and, and Friday. All right. Cause there's a lot going on. And I got up and I uh, did Steve Hood's radio show this morning. Wake up with Steve Hood, nine ten a.m. the Superstation. So that was pretty good. Also, we talked about William Monroe Trotter and his fight against the film The Birth of a Nation in nineteen fifteen. And uh, we talked also about uh, some more about why Abraham Lincoln was not an abolitionist, and how also Abraham Lincoln was against African Americans having equal rights as well talked about that also all right okay so um how's everybody doing today all right so on today's show we'll deal with um you know on tuesday um tuesday uh i think it was tuesday donald trump met with uh 60 presidents about about 60 presidents of hbcus okay and um, this was regarding an executive order on HBCUs. All right. Uh, they met on Tuesday and uh, they talked about this on. Let me see. Leaders of HBCU met with President. I think they met on Monday. I think they met on Monday with the uh, with the HBCUs. OK. They talked about it on Tuesday and. Uh, we're, we're going to discuss that, okay? Because some had mixed reactions. Um, others were um, against the meeting. Some said, hey, this is just going to be a photo op, et cetera. All right? So we'll talk about that. Uh, I know there was an article in the um, Washington Post as well. There was an article from uh, February 28th, which was Tuesday. Um as well but it looks like Tuesday uh, uh, so yeah they met Monday and then the executive order was 
to be signed on Tuesday. So we're going to talk about that some today, okay? And we'll get into this some more tomorrow also. Then, uh, you know, we posted an article a couple of times on our fan page, the African History Network, about Chance the Rapper, Chance the Rapper. Since winning uh, uh, a Grammy, Chance the Rapper has turned down millions of dollars uh, in advances and he's he's staying independent. We're going to talk about that some. Why Chance the Rapper is turning down million uh, turning down million dollar advances from uh, record labels. And um, let's see, we'll get to this other story here. Um, Representative um, Elijah Cummings uh, said to um, Trump to be a leader, not a tweeter. Representative Elijah Cummings uh, spoke with Morning Joe. This was from uh, Tuesday. Uh, and he was uh, speaking regarding Donald Trump's uh, upcoming joint sessions of Congress uh, speech, okay, that he delivered on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night. We'll, we'll, we'll talk some about that as well, okay? All right. So, hey, on the Michael M. Hotep show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you have been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828. Sign up for our email newsletter. Also go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Sign up for our email newsletter there as well at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com also, okay? All right, and remember all my DVD presentations are available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Um... So check that out as well. All my DVD presentations are there as well. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay. All right. Uh, and we have the Empowerment Bundle Pack where you get uh, six of my DVD presentations for only $50. And uh, we have uh, the Hidden Colors Family Bundle Pack as well. You get all four installments of Hidden Colors and four of my DVD presentations. And one installment of Afro Man and Protectors of the Book of Knowledge. You get all that. Uh, that's on sale for a hundred dollars right now. I think it is. Okay. All right. So we're broadcasting on Facebook live, our Facebook fan page, the African history network. And, uh, I think I still have to upload Monday show on the podcast. So sorry about that. And I've been busy. Trust me. I've been busy. All right. Uh, I did my, uh, uh, Saturday. I did my presentation up in, uh, Lansing, Michigan. And, um, for Dennis Burnside and his group. And while I was doing my presentation in Lansing, Lansing, Michigan, which is the capital of Detroit, my daughter was born while I was doing my presentation. Okay, so 
I've been and then I and then after after the presentation, I went to the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History to be with Dr. Leonard Jeffries and Professor James Small, two of my teachers, as well as uh, Dr. Wade Nobles was there. Uh, they were doing a presentation, and also Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene was there as well, another one of my teachers. So I was titled with that, and then uh, found out later my daughter had been born. So. It's been hectic, okay? Now, we're going to get to the information about Jeff Sessions, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and it coming out that he met twice with Russian ambassadors, Russian officials, things like that. We'll get to that story tomorrow, okay? And we've been posting about it on our Facebook fan page. I was up late last night posting about it. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. You can check out the article from the New York Times. Sessions, Sessions indicates Justice Department will stop monitoring troubled police agencies. Sessions indicates Justice Department will stop monitoring troubled police agencies. Um, that's, um, okay, that's, we were going to talk about that Tuesday, but then I get a chance to. Uh, we, we probably will talk about that tomorrow, this, okay, this topic also. But Sessions met with Russian envoy twice last year, encounters he later did not disclose. Sessions met with Russian envoy twice last year, encounters he later did not disclose, okay? Check that out. That's from uh, the Washington Post. All right, so this is hot, and the, and the story just came out that he uh, is going to recuse himself from Trump campaign investigations, which is not good for Donald Trump. All right. So <laughs> I'm telling you, I've been I've been telling people about this. I've been telling people about this. OK, when all the information comes out and it's coming out, you can't you can't stop it. The disinformation is coming out when all the information comes out. OK. It's going to make Watergate look like Sesame Street when all the information comes out. Is going to make Watergate look like Sesame Street. This is how deep this stuff goes. And and I've been studying this for months. I've been telling people about it. And I'm looking at the classified information. And I'm telling you, this is going to make Watergate look like Sesame Street. All right? Wait till they, wait till they declassify some of the classified information. And we see how deep it goes. Wait till they declassify some of the classified information. I'm looking at the declassified information, and I'm telling you how bad it is. All right? <laughs> All right, so you better hold on. Okay, so um, Donald Trump, uh, you know, there's an article from um, the Washington Post from Tuesday, February 28th. Historically, black colleges push for financial support. Historically, black colleges push for financial support. Uh, presidents from a majority of the country's historically black colleges and universities are in Washington, D.C. this week, calling for $25 billion in the upcoming budget to help address priorities, including infrastructure, college readiness and financial aid as President Trump prepares to sign an executive order aimed at signaling his commitment to the schools. OK, now Trump met briefly with the college leaders on Monday, posing for a photograph in the Oval Office before the group met with Vice President um, Mike Pence and Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. All right. Now, that's not the way the meeting was presented to them. OK, because from my understanding of the uh, of the meeting, they thought that they were going to have a meaningful discussion with Trump 
to be able to express their issues, their concerns, push their agendas. Okay, you had about sixty of them, sixty of them that met with Donald Trump for ten or fifteen minutes. That's not what they thought they were going there for. And meeting with Education Secretary Betsy DeVos about HBCUs is a waste of time because she's totally clueless on HBCUs. She's clueless on she's clueless on the job. Period. She's totally clueless on HBCUs. Now Tuesday's order is expected to move the White House initiative on historically black colleges and universities from the Department of Education into the White House, from the Department of Education into the White House. Now, a senior White House official said the order was intended to prioritize the initiative and make it easier to partner with various federal departments and agencies. Now, the moves are more the the moves are more the actions some college presidents said they would like to see coming from the new administration. The moves are among the actions some college presidents said they would like to see coming from the new administration. For some, their decision to come to Washington was over the objections of students and alumni, but they say they can ill afford to play politics as Trump moves quickly to set priorities. Okay. Now, Larry Robinson is the president of Florida A&M. He's the interim president of Florida A&M University. Right. Uh, he said it's important for schools like his to have a seat at the table early. It's important for schools like his to have a seat at the table early. Okay. He said, quote, we are the subject matter experts in terms of what needs to be done. We wanted to communicate that to those who were receptive of doing something on our behalf, regardless of who's sitting in the White House or what their political affiliations are. Okay, now that's Larry Robinson, interim um, uh, president of Florida A&M University. Okay, all right. Now, though Donald Trump, though Donald Trump did not have a plan to address HBCUs during his campaign, Unlike Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, and this is what I've been saying for some times throughout the campaign, Donald Trump did not mention HBCUs. Okay, I heard now I saw one statement saying he did. Okay, show me where he did. I, I heard over 100 campaign speeches from him. He did not mention HBCUs. I went to his website numerous times. He did not have a plan for HBCUs during the campaign. He did not have one. Hillary Clinton did. And what's interesting is when you look at Hillary Clinton's education plan for HBCUs, she talked about setting aside $25 billion for HBCUs and other uh, so-called minority institutions. Donald Trump is talking about $25 billion in the upcoming budget to help address priorities including infrastructure, college readiness, and financial aid for HBCUs. How did he come up with the same amount? I find that very interesting. You did not have a plan for HBCUs during the campaign. Now you talk about doing the executive order and, and executive order is not something special because each president since Jimmy Carter has had an executive order on HBCUs. Let's be clear on that. But but how is it how is it that all of a sudden now you're talking about doing an executive order and you're talking about uh, setting aside funding and. Uh, you come up with $25 billion. I just find that, I just find that uncanny. How did that happen? Okay. All right. So, um, and I'm going to pull this up, uh, HillaryClinton.com. We'll pull this up, uh, education, 
HBCUs. I thought I had that uh, bookmarked. Let's see here. Okay. Um, make college debt free. All right. So. Okay, so even though Donald Trump did not have a plan to address HBCUs during his campaign, unlike Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, uh, the Republican was swift to signal his support for the school soon after his inauguration. Administration officials vowed that he would take action on HBCUs during Black History Month, which ends Tuesday, February 28th. One of the president's most visible black aides, Amarosa Manigault, holds degrees from two HBCUs, Central State University in Ohio and Howard University in Washington, D.C. Okay. And on February 20, on February 1st, during the listening session, during the listening session with African American Republicans, uh, Republican leaders, he seemed like he was clueless on HBCUs. Okay. Now, at HillaryClinton.com, at HillaryClinton.com, and we're going to post it here on our thread, okay, of the broadcast, right? We're going to post it here on the thread of the broadcast. Uh, HillaryClinton.com, when you click on education, all right, uh, HillaryClinton.com, then issues, click on issues, then click on education. And they talk about making college debt free and taking on student debt, okay? Now, on her website for months, she had her... Uh, plan for HBCUs, okay, and uh, it's under uh, making college debt free and taking on student debt. All right. Notice how Donald Trump is not talking about making college debt free for the most part. All right. So under this section, here's what every student and family should expect under Hillary's plan. Okay. You scroll down, and it talks about a 25 billion dollar fund will support historically black colleges and universities, Hispanic serving institutions and other minority serving institutions in building new ladders of opportunity for students. Read Hillary's agenda to support HBCUs and, and minority focused institutions. Twenty five billion dollar fund will support HBCUs, Hispanic serving institutions and other minority serving institutions. How did Donald Trump come up with twenty five billion dollars also? I find that interesting. And then when you find out about the executive order, because there are articles from HBCU Digest about this, when you find out about the executive order that Donald Trump signed. They're saying it's not that much different from the executive order from President Barack Obama. Hmm. Now, more than 231,000 students enrolled at uh, HBCUs in 2014. More than 231,000 students enrolled at HBCUs in 2014, according to the National Center for Educational Statistics. Now, almost 80% were African-American because you do have some uh, non-African-American students who go to HBCUs. You have some white students, some Asian, Asian students, Hispanic students, things like this at HBCUs, okay? Almost 80% of the 231,000 uh, uh, students enrolled at HBCUs in, in 2014 were African-American. But HBCU enrollment declined from 326,614 to 294,316, okay? Uh, between 2010 and 2014, according to the National Center for Education Statistics data. All right. Now, let me repeat. Uh, 
more than 231,000 students enrolled at HBCUs in 2014. Okay. Um, and from, uh, so it looks like in 2014, it was 294,000 who enrolled. All right. Now, in the past generation, the percentage of African-American college students attending HBCUs dropped from 18% of the overall total of black college students in 1976 to 8% of the overall total black college students in 2014. Let me repeat this. HBCUs, I'm sorry, the percentage of African-American college students attending HBCUs dropped from 18% overall in 1976. So in 1976, 18% of African-American college students, African-American students enrolled in college, 18% were enrolled in HBCUs in 1976. In 2014, only 8% of overall African-American college students were enrolled in HBCUs. Now, this past Tuesday, February 28th, the college presidents uh, were supposed to spend the day on Capitol Hill lobbying Congress for more funding, okay? Uh, Gramley State University uh, President Rick Gallat said he was encouraged by Monday's meeting and saw a government interested in a meaningful partnership. Rick Gallat is hoping the initial meetings will lead to more access to research opportunities for his school. OK, um, quote, as HBCUs, we've always done what politicians stress to agencies to do more with less. End quote. The head of uh, Louisiana, uh, the head of uh, uh, the Louisiana College said, uh, President Rick Gallat, head of uh, Grambling State University. He went on to say, "Think of the opportunities that would be there to do more with more." Now, Rick Gallat uh, pointed out that more than ninety percent of his students are eligible for the federal Pell Grant, and added he would like to see the program strengthened and made into a year-round opportunity. OK, so funding is critical. Pell grants, student loans, things like this, the, the access to funding, making more Pell grants available. That's critical for HBCUs. Now, Donald Trump's executive order is also aimed at helping the HBCU initiative as a partner in the president's agenda, including job creation, community revitalization and making inner cities safer, according to the official who briefed reporters on condition of anonymity, uh, despite the president's recent complaints about unnamed sources. All right. Despite, let me repeat this because see Donald Trump, Donald Trump is losing his mind. Now I'm telling you, Donald Trump is not going to be able to make it to the end of the year. Donald Trump is not going, he's not going to make it as president to the end of the year. He's going to be forced to resign. All right. Um, let me repeat this again. So Trump's executive order is also aimed at helping the HBCU initiative work as a partner in the president's agenda, including job creation, community revitalization and making inner cities safer, according to the official who briefed reporters on condition of, on condition of anonymity, despite Donald Trump's recent complaints about unnamed sources. Now, Florida Memorial University, Florida Memorial, Florida Memorial University's Rosalind Artis says she is looking to play 
to Trump's CEO background looking for tax incentives that would attract government contractors and private companies to invest in HBCUs, okay? I just hope HBCUs are not investing in privatized prisons like University of California was. I don't think they are. I'm just, I just hope they don't, okay? I just hope they don't. All right. Now, those watching on Facebook, how y'all, how y'all doing on Facebook? Those watching on Facebook, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also, okay? Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in as well. We have the information posted uh, for the show. And, um, okay, yeah, we have the information here posted for the show. And this is one of the topics we're dealing with, HBCUs. Okay, so... Rousing artist, uh, president of Florida Memorial University, she said, quote, we, we, we are appealing to his good business sense and hoping he finds an investment worth paying for. OK. Uh, and she added uh, that uh, Florida Memorial leadership has several listening sessions um, with its campus community ahead of the Washington, D.C. trip to allay concerns. She said, quote, the reality is we as HBCUs don't have the luxury of playing politics is really about policy for us, end quote. And I totally get that with them. I know some people were saying, oh, they shouldn't go meet with uh, Trump and uh, calling them Negroes and all types of names like this. And I, I, I don't have a problem with the meeting with him. OK, because they're trying to this is who they're going to push. They're going to push their issues to the administration trying to get more funding things like this this is what any uh if he if, if any colleges um um have that opportunity they're going to do that okay to to meet with them to get their concerns met all right but you want to make sure that you're not being used as a photo op and from what i see and from articles i read it appears that trump used them as a photo op okay i think they went there with good intentions but i think they got played now, the presidents of the HBCUs were invited to Washington, uh, D.C. by the Thurgood Marshall Fund, the nonprofit umbrella organization of public HBCUs headed by Johnny Taylor, who said he reached out to both presidential campaigns about support for the schools last summer. OK, the Thurgood, the Thurgood uh, Marshall Fund. Now, Johnny Taylor uh, pointed out that two thirds of HBCUs are in the red. OK. Or, Republic, uh, or Republican-oriented states, and that the colleges are heavily reliant on federal and state funding to survive, meaning that HBCUs must meet with the administration despite the fact that only 8% of African Americans voted for Donald Trump. So this is the, re this is the reality, and, you, and, and once again, you know, when we talk about what politics is, okay, and Loretta Dillon Ham, watching from Australia, how you doing, Loretta? When we talk about what politics is, politics is the legal distribution a scarce wealth, power, and resources. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, okay? And this is uh, uh, a clear example of that, all right? The, um, she said, quote, we are appealing to his good business sense 
and oh sorry let me back up okay the president the presidents were invited to washington dc by the third good marshall fund the nonprofit umbrella organization of public hbcus headed by johnny taylor who said he reached out to both presidential campaigns about support for the schools last summer okay johnny taylor pointed out that two-thirds of hbcus are in the red they are operating in a deficit a, a financial deficit or they are in Republican oriented states and that the colleges are heavily reliant on federal and state funding to survive heavily reliant on federal and state funding to survive meaning that HBCUs must meet with the administration despite the fact that only 8% of African Americans voted for Donald Trump now all the people who were criticizing them for meeting with Trump and things like this how much did you donate to HBCUs last year or this year? All the people calling them all types of names and Negroes and all this stuff and you shouldn't meet them. All the people criticizing them for meeting with Trump. How much did you donate to HBCUs last year? Have you ever donated to HBCUs? They need support. And I've donated to HBCUs also. will donate again this year. All right. Now. And I didn't go to HBCU, but I understand the importance of HBCUs. All right. Now, taking that position was met with great skepticism. The position that Johnny Taylor of the um, uh, Thurgood Marshall Fund took, uh, he said, taking that position was met with great skepticism and in some cases outright refusal to co cooperate. But the idea that you would not talk to this group is silly. OK. And he said this at a reception of uh, the Thurgood Marshall Fund sponsored on Monday. Now, the Thurgood Marshall Fund and the United Negro College Fund, which supports private HBCUs, have been lobbying uh, Donald Trump to support the colleges. Now, Taylor, uh, Johnny Taylor said Trump's swift action on many of his campaign promises sends a message that that he will take action without worrying about the political winds. Okay. You can like or dislike his position, but one thing about him, if he says it, you can count on it. Uh, Taylor said, well, we'll see about that. He, cause he's going back on some of his campaign promises. Uh, you remember, uh, Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Okay. It's going to cost, it's going to cost the U S $26 billion and it's going to take three and a half years to be built. Now, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, who also attended the reception, was more skeptical Monday night, calling the Oval Office stop nothing more than a photo op. OK, and this is basically what uh, Dillard University um, President Walter Kimbrell said as well. We'll get to that statement in a minute here. Now, there is no substance at this point, she said, cautioning to wait for the contents of the executive order and the budget process the process is the proof is in the pudding she said all right now, so check out this article article from the washington post this is from tuesday february 28th tuesday february 28th historically black colleges push for financial support historically black colleges push for financial support okay all right so when we come back from the break we're going to go to the story from um uh, News One Now. This was, uh, I think this was from Monday. News One Now with Roland Martin. We'll go to that. And th this is from Tuesday. 
We'll go to that in just a minute, okay? Uh, yeah, because they, they met with him on Monday, and they talked to uh, Roland on Tuesday, all right? We'll go to this in just a minute. Okay, hey, you listen to the Mike Limhotep Show right here on the Empowerment Radio Network, where knowledge is power. We'll be back in, uh, we'll be back in a few minutes here. And, um, okay. All right. So, hey, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a lot of information there for you. All of my DVD presentations are there as well. And it, uh, the first of the year has gone and come. Have you invested in a life insurance policy today to protect your family in the future? Ensure your love and invest in the future of your family with life insurance today. Contact Yolanda Spivey of the Whitney Insurance Agency at 201-880-7179, 201-880-7179. Also visit mwhitney.com, mwhitney.com, and you can check out their articles at theblackinsurancenetwork.com, theblackinsurancenetwork.com. Pass on wealth to your loved ones and not debt. Pass on wealth to your loved ones and not debt. Okay. All right. We'll be back from the break in a couple minutes here. Lamont Roy said never says how he's going to get things done. No budget, no numbers. Uh, yeah, the budget is coming, but it's he made a whole lot of promises. Thinkprogress.org calculated um, uh, about 668 promises he made throughout the campaign. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I mean, this guy's is just a straight up liar though. Uh, let's see here. Okay. We'll be back in a few minutes. Just to the Michael M. Hotep show right here on the empowerment radio network with knowledge is power. Stand by. All right. Okay, stand by. We'll be back in a minute. You just mentioned the white people who were guilty of white supremacy try and hide. No, this is done by those who were guilty of all those things that you just, the, the counterpart of all those things you just mentioned. The white people who were guilty of white supremacy try and hide their own guilt by accusing the uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad of teaching black supremacy when he tries to uplift the mentality, the uh, social, mental, economic uh, condition of black people in this country. And Jews who have been guilty of exploiting the black people in this country economically, civically, and otherwise uh, hide behind, uh, hide their guilt by accusing the Honorable Elijah Muhammad of teaching, uh, of being anti-Semitic simply because he teaches our people to go into business for ourselves and try and take over the economic uh, leadership in our own community. And this other thing, white supremacy, anti-Semitism, and what was this uh, other? And hatred. And really. hatred. And since the white people collectively have practiced the worst form of hatred against Negroes in this country, and, are, and they know that they are guilty of it, now they, when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad begins to, comes along and begins to list the historic deeds, the historic attitude, 
the historic behavior of the white man in this country toward the black people in this country. Again, the white people are so guilty that they, they and they can't stop doing these things uh, to make Mr. Muhammad appear wrong. So they they uh, hide their wrong by saying that uh, he is teaching hatred. History is not hatred. Actually, we are Muslims because we believe in the religion of Islam. We believe in one God. We believe in Muhammad as the apostle of God. We practice the principles of the religion of Islam, which mean prayer, charity, fasting, uh, brotherhood. And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that since the Western society is deteriorating, it has become overrun with immorality, that God is going to, dis to, to judge it and destroy it. And the only way black people who are in this society can be saved is to not integrate into this corrupt society, but separate ourselves from it, reform ourselves, lift up our moral standards, and try and be godly instead of trying try and integrate with God instead of trying to integrate with the white man, or try and imitate God instead of trying to imitate with, uh, the white man. Welcome back to the Michael M. Hotep Show right here on the Empowerment Radio Network, where knowledge is power. Okay, um, so that was Malcolm X. That was... Uh, uh, Malcolm uh, when he was with the Nation of Islam okay so you can listen to his message you can listen to his uh, speeches after he left the Nation of Islam and you saw uh, Malcolm evolving alright so we were talking about HBCUs and Donald Trump meeting with HBCUs on Monday and once again uh we're dealing with, uh, I, I did not get a chance to broadcast on Tuesday. Um, so this is basically Tuesday's show. I, I wanted to get to this content, okay, because tomorrow we're going to have to deal with some other stuff and deal with what happened today and with just sessions, what's going to happen tomorrow. So I want to make sure we got to this. And we'll have this show uploaded tonight and Monday's show we'll have uploaded this evening also. You can listen to all the podcasts, audio podcasts of the shows at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Click right on the home page, um, listen to podcasts of the Michael M. Hotel show. Okay, so Monday, Donald Trump met with uh, at least 60 leaders of HBCUs, about 60 leaders of HBCUs. Um, and he met with them briefly. And they met with uh, Governor Mike Pence and Betsy DeVos, okay? And this was in anticipation of, exec of an executive order that was going to be signed on Tuesday. Okay, if I remember correctly, the executive order was supposed to be signed Tuesday. All right. Um, they talked about this uh, Tuesday morning on News One Now with Roland Martin. Let's go to this clip. More than 60 HBCU presidents crowded into the Oval Office for a brief meeting with President Donald Trump yesterday to lobby the administration for a much-needed increase in support through federal contracts and funding. Some HBCU supporters have questioned Trump's motives in bringing school leaders to the White House, including whether it was an attempt to show up former President Obama's own contributions to HBCUs. But for many, including some of the presidents who attended, it was important to have a seat at the table. After the Oval Office gathering, Vice President Mike Pence held a listening session with HBCU leaders pledging the administration's full support, uh, full attention and support for the more than 100 colleges and universities that represent 3% of the country's two and four year institutions. He told them, beginning today, this administration is committed to making sure that our historically black colleges and universities get the credit 
and the attention they deserve. Our administration, at the president's direction, is working to find new ways to expand your impact. We want to partner with you, so get ready for a great and energetic partnership in the days ahead. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer explained how the executive order Trump will sign today will boost HBCUs by connecting them with various federal agency programs. There's programs within each of the departments, the Department of Education, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, that affect grants or programs or, uh, or direct funding that go to HBCUs for various different things, whether it's construction projects or teaching programs or mentorship programs, whatever it is, they span throughout the entire government. And I think that what we are committed to doing is ensuring that the that there is a high-level understanding uh, and commitment to make sure that there's a direct pipeline to the President of the United States, that those programs are being executed in a way that's benefiting uh, the future of HBCUs and the various projects and teaching uh, that goes on there. Uh, folks, HBCU leaders will meet with, with, with Republican lawmakers in an all-day conference that will include the controversial new Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. I have a couple of words about her later. Joining us to discuss this, Juliet Bell, President of the University of Maryland, Eastern Shore, Rick Gallat, President of Grambling State University, and Kent J. Smith, President of Langston University of Oklahoma. Folks, how are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. First of all, uh, how long was the meeting? Uh, well, we were at the um, uh, executive building and, and in the um, uh, Oval Office for total probably a couple of hours, um, actually in, in the uh, Oval Office, 10, 15 minutes. And, and the assessment of that, so what was actually discussed? Was an opportunity to ask, actually dialogue with Trump? Not, not directly with the president. That, that was more of a meet and greet, and then we had more of a dialogue with the vice president, Pence. Uh, would you have preferred to actually have a discussion with the president as opposed to only step into the Oval Office for a photo? Well, I think the opportunity to see the president face to face and to hear what he had to say in regard to his commitment to HBCUs was very important. So uh, I think there will be time for future dialogue. And did it commit to that future dialogue directly with the president? Yeah, and, and prior to going into the Oval Office, we, we also had the opportunity to meet with his uh, uh, chief of staff, uh, was, was in there, uh, a number of his other top... Uh, Rice Priebus, was, chief, was uh, Steve Bannon, the chief strategist yes. there? Yes. Yes. And uh, Kellyanne uh, Conway was in there. So, I mean, they were all in there, and, and the message was consistent that they are interested, this president is interested in a meaningful partnership with HBCUs. And so, again, each one after one, one after another, uh, expressed the president's uh, desire to have a meaningful partnership with HBCU. So we're certainly encouraged by that consistent messaging. Uh, in his Black History Month statement about HBCUs, he took a shot at President Obama, uh, saying that President Barack Obama uh, essentially ignored HBCUs and their concerns. Well, I, I personally do not share that view. I certainly believe President Obama uh, in some ways was helpful to HBCUs. And I'll tell you, as a university president... Okay, now this is Kent J. Smith, Jr., Dr. Kent J. Smith, Jr., president of Langston University, talking. President, there's always more that can be done, uh, but I would not uh, certainly have the view that President Obama did very little or nothing for HBCUs. You know, I, oh, I think there's always an opportunity for improvement, and I see this as an opportunity for the university presidents to be at the table at the beginning of the discussion to express what our interests and concerns are. 
I agree. Well, and, and Roland, you, you met Michael Meadows, my SGA president, last week at Grambling. They were interested in me being here to represent their interests, not to look at what may or may not have happened in the previous administration. The students at Grambling, our, our alumni association, our faculty senate, all uh, encouraged me to be here, to be in the room and a part of this conversation. And I think I can, you know, say that uh, the other fellow presidents are, are the same way. That that you can't uh, have an impact unless you are in the room. So at least uh, we're encouraged that uh, that this opportunity has uh, you know has come about. He will sign an executive order today. Any idea what's going to actually be in that executive order? Well, certainly the expectations have been, been set, and, and certainly uh, Johnny Taylor uh, with the Thurgood Marshall uh, fa uh, College Fund has done a tremendous job of creating this, this opportunity. So the expectations for increases in, in year-round Pell Grant, uh, infrastructure investments, uh, all those things that are critical to our mission uh, have been expressed as expectations, and, and certainly we feel uh, uh, very optimistic of what that might look like. Did Vice President Pence make any commitment when it came to the Parent PLUS loan? Um, he, he, he did, did not, not. He did not make any any no. directly. Was was anyone? Did, he, did anyone challenge him or ask him about that? Uh, not directly to him, but we did with all the rest of the cabinet that was there. That is a request that we have collectively as um, HBCU presidents to not only increase the Pell Grant dollar amounts, but to move back toward year-round Pell Grants. When when you look at our constituency, over 75% of HBCU students receive the Pell Grant in some shape or form. And so that's an important issue for us. And, and then and now what did they say in regards to that? Oh, they seem to be receptive. Now, I, I would say we're cautiously optimistic, and the devil is going to be in the details, and we'll see what comes our way. Uh, oh, so you have oh. other meetings that okay. as well. Okay, let me back this up for just a minute here. Constituency, over 75% of HBCU students receive the Pell Grant in some shape or form, and so that's an important issue for us. And, and then, and now, what did they say in regards to that? Oh, they seem to be receptive. Now, I, I would say we're cautiously optimistic, and the devil is going to be in the details, and we'll see what comes our way. Uh, oh, so you have other meetings as well. So what are you hoping to get across to Republican lawmakers and Democratic lawmakers? Because at the end of the day, Congress will determine the budget. That's right. Absolutely. And I think one of the things, one of the interests that I have is to ensure that the Republican Congress recognizes the importance of HBCUs not only to the black community but to the nation as a whole and the contributions that we've made and the value proposition that the institutions bring. And, and from a political standpoint, if, uh, if uh, items are included in the executive budget that then goes to Congress, you certainly have a, a much greater chance of, uh, uh, of, of seeing some of these things funded with it being in the executive budget of a Republican president and Republican uh, House and uh, and Senate. So uh, certainly my congressman, uh, Ralph Abraham, uh, is very supportive of Grambling State University uh, and, and has expressed uh, his interest in moving uh, our agenda forward as well. So we're, we're encouraged by at least that level of support. All right, then. We'll, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. And uh, we'll see what happens with this executive order and what the details are. Thank you. Thank you very Thanks much. For having a peaceful protest turned deadly. 37-year-old black man was shot and killed by Baton Rouge police. His hands are in the air, and you still get shot by the cops. Oh, my God. Please don't tell me he's dead. We're not going to let hate define us. Race is a big part of this. If truly all lives matter, then all lives need to matter equally. What we require is action. What we require is accountability. We understand that black lives do matter. We will keep focused on this issue. News One Now, every weekday morning at 7 on TV One.
All right, so be sure to watch News One Now with Roland Martin Monday through Friday, uh, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. News One Now with Roland Martin, okay? All right, now, um, Roland interviewed uh, Amarosa Manigault on um, Wednesday morning, okay? Wednesday morning. And they talked about uh, the executive order that was coming out also, okay? And uh, I guess we'll probably share that tomorrow with you, all right? Um, all right, now, there was an article from uh, Huffington Post, Black Voices, um, written by Carolyn Smith. Huffington Post, Black Voices, from yesterday, uh, March 1st, written by uh, Carolyn Smith. As a Howard alum, I stand with upset HBCU students everywhere. As a Howard alum, I stand with upset HBCU students uh, everywhere. And let's see here. Okay. All right. So in the article, um, it says uh, more than 60 presidents of HBCUs traveled to the White House to meet with Vice President uh, Mike Pence and Department of Education Secretary DeVos on Tuesday. Actually, they met on Monday to discuss issues facing these historical institutions. These black leaders were promised an opportunity to detail the hardships HBCUs have faced and how they would uh, like to work with the current administration to alleviate these issues. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Instead, as detailed in a blog by President of Dillard University, Walter Kimbrough, all the leaders got was a photo with Trump and a brief moment to throw out a few words about HBCUs. So basically, a waste of these black folks' time. That's what she's saying. Uh, and there was some mix. There was some mixed reactions. Read the articles from HBCU Digest. HBCU Digest uh, has articles about about this meeting. Okay. Uh, some there were some mixed reactions. She said she goes on to say, "Don't get me wrong. I understand the importance of having a presence." Um, I understand the importance of having a presence and keeping an open line with communication with the current administration, because like so many of the respectability politics advocates say, we are we, we, we at the very least need a seat at this man's table. But it hurts to see the president of one of the most highly esteemed universities, Howard University, be used as a photo op. OK, now let's be clear. All right. It's more when when you are dealing with politics and you're dealing with the current administration, et cetera. Right. It's more than just having a seat at this man's table. Your tax dollars help pay for the Pell Grants. Your tax dollars help pay for the student loans. Your tax dollars help to pay for the resources that are being allocated to various institutions. That comes from taxpayer dollars. So it's more than just trying to get a seat at somebody else's table. It's getting a seat at the table that you help pay for. And you and you want you want funds directed into the areas that you want them in. It, so it's more than getting a seat at somebody else's table. It's getting a seat at the table that you help pay for with your tax dollars. 
This is this is something critical for people to understand. All right. Now, uh, she said, let me be uh, as transparent as possible, since it seems the president of my beloved university is struggling with his own transparency. I'm a graduate of Howard University, a damn proud graduate at that. I made the decision to attend Howard because of his legacy of excellence to protest all things wrong and to fight for all things right. So when I learned President Wayne A.I. Uh, Frederick agreed to host uh, Betsy DeVos fresh off of being sworn in as the new education secretary without notifying Howard students or any of the actual student body leaders, I was a bit disheartened, but I kept faith because... Why agree to shuck and jive if there's not some huge financial gain? It hurts to see the president of one of the most highly esteemed universities, Howard University, be used as a token. Current Howard, student, current Howard University students refused to be as hopeful. Instead, Howard students began, a publicly shame, uh, pup, began to publicly shame uh, President Frederick through their social media accounts on Howard's actual campus. My friends and I saw the shaming, chuckled it off, and moved on with our lives, figuring President Frederick had to be doing this, this for a, a, a crap ton of federal funding. Then news broke that HBCU presidents were invited to the White House for a meeting. I hoped the presidents uh, would meet with the administration and have a productive conversation about the importance of HBCUs and why it's vital to increase support for these institutions through uh, financial means. Now, since that did not happen, current Howard University students decided to make their frustrations public by expressing their frustrations with President Frederick with graffiti covering the campus with phrases like, Wayne Frederick doesn't care about black people, uh, quote unquote, and I was happily, I, I was happily uh, here for it, okay? So, um, it, 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 it appears that the students have a problem with President Frederick basically getting played. And this is what appears to um, happen on the uh, it appears to happen with the meeting. OK, now, once again, I understand their desire to meet with the president. I understand um I, I don't have a problem meeting with them. I have a problem with them being played. And I, I'm not sure who negotiated this meeting. Okay. I'm not sure who negotiated this meeting. I'm not sure uh, who, um, when, when it came to figuring out how much time they would have with uh, Trump and things like this. I'm not sure uh, who negotiated that. Okay. All right. So let's go back to this article here. Then I want to share the response uh, from President Walter Kimbrell from Dillard University. And I'm looking for this clip from uh, News One Now, also from, uh, I think this is from Tuesday morning, uh, because he interviewed Amarosa and they were on the, here we go. Uh, this is from yesterday. This is from yesterday morning. Okay. I think it was yesterday morning. And uh, they were on the Time Joe in the Morning Show. All right. So we'll go to this clip here in just a minute. All right. So um, 
So she said, I was proud to see current students publicly hold our university accountable, president accountable, hold our university president accountable for his lack of transparency with the student body. They were fed up and so was I. They were fed up and so was I. They were fed up with having a president who enjoys uh, kicking it up with one of the most racist, xenophobic, and misogynistic presidents in our history. They were fed up with being told uh, they need to sit in the chair Trump was holding out for them at his table so they can feed on the scraps DeVos and Trump threw at them. So they decide. So they decided to let their frustrations be known, and they have every right by voicing their opinions. They aren't. They are not ignoring the struggle HBCUs are facing. She goes on to say they're living in those struggles, so they don't have the luxury of ignoring them. All the upset students at Howard, uh, all the upset students and Howard Street artists are demanding is that their president tell them what the hell he's doing. And what he's hoping to accomplish. Now, this protest is something that should be encouraged by our community and fellow alumni, especially since past students have protested presidents because they could not get some chicken. I applaud other university leaders like Dillich, uh, uh, President Kimbrough and uh, Hampton's William Harvey for uh, coming forward and letting the public and their student body know why they chose to take the meeting and how they were bamboozled. Okay, so they admitted this, uh, that they were bamboozled. Okay, uh, now hopefully something good will come out of the executive order. And keep in mind, this executive order is not something special. The executive order is not something special. Um, every president since Jimmy Carter has had an executive order on HBCUs, okay? Now she goes on to say, now if only my own president could keep keep it up, uh, it, now if only my own president could keep it a buck with me, okay? Uh, could keep it a buck with me. Um, I think she meant to say 100, like keep it 100. Okay, so, Name of this article, this is from Huffington Post Black Voices. This is from yesterday, March 1st. As a Howard alum, I stand with upset HBCU students everywhere. All the upset students are demanding is that their president tell them what the hell he's doing. This is written by Carolyn Smith, who's a contributor to Huffington Post Black Voices. Okay. All right. Now, um, she had a link in her article to the... Uh, uh, post from uh, Walter Kimbrell, president of Dillard University, Walter Kimbrell. All right. And Walter Kimbrell, uh, this is from medium.com, medium.com, uh, seventh president of uh, Dillard University. My statement, White House HBCU event. My statement, White House HBCU event. On Friday, I learned that I was selected to give remarks today for the meeting at the White House with members of the Trump administration, most notably Secretary Betsy DeVos. We learned this weekend that there would be closing remarks by Vice President Pence, but the goal was for officials from a number of federal agencies, about five were there, including uh, OMB, um, 
Office of Management and Budgets, I think that is, and Secretary DeVos to hear about HBCUs. That all blew up when the decision was made to take the president to the Oval Office to see Donald Trump. I'm still processing that entire experience, but needless to say, that threw the day off and there was very little listening to HBCU presidents today. We were only given about two minutes each and that was cut to one minute. So only about seven of maybe 50, only about seven of maybe 15 or so speakers were given an opportunity today. Okay. And that's not what they were told was going to happen initially. All right. Just a second here. <coughs> So that's not what they were told was going to happen initially. All right. So he goes on to say, so this is what I'm going to say today in my two minutes. The UNCF will also share my comments, but it is important that I share in advance of Tuesday's speech by the president because I am discussing specific funding that benefits all college students, but especially those at HBCUs, okay? And this was from Monday, February 27th. So I'm trying to see, was this before, because they met on Monday, was this before or after they met? Sounds like it was before the met. So this is what I'm going to say today in my two minutes. So this sounds like... This is before he met. Now, the UNCF will also share my comments, but it is important that I share in advance a Tuesday speech by the president because I am discussing specific funding that benefits all college students. But especially those at HBCUs. OK, so here's a statement by Walter uh, M. Kimbrell, president Dillard University. Um, OK. Want to see how much there is now uh, in his Oscars acceptance speech last night. Uh, Mahishala Ali uh, celebrated Americans belief in the transformative power of education when he first thanked his teachers and professors. Historically, black colleges and universities are living testimonies of this power, uh, the central force in educating people inextricably linked to the promise of America. Now, 50 years ago, a, f a philosophy emerged suggesting education was no longer a public good, but a private one. 50 years ago, a, a philosophy emerged suggesting education was no longer a public good, but a private one. Since then, we've seen federal and state divestment in education, making the idea of education as the path to the American dream more of a hallucination for the poor and disenfranchised. There is no doubt who is left to hallucinate. There is no doubt who is left to hallucinate. In the past decade, the wealth gap between uh, whites and blacks has gone from seven to 13 fold. The median net worth of a single parent white family is twice, twice that of a two parent African-American family. The median net worth of a single parent white family is twice that of a two parent African-American family. Black students graduate with 31 percent more college debt than their white peers. 
Now the Pell Grant should be the equalizer. The Pell Grant should be the equalizer. It serves 36% of all students, 62% of African American students, and over 70% attending HBCUs, okay? And I think it's actually about 85% of those attending HBCUs get, um, uh, get Pell Grants, I think, okay? Um, so we're gonna look at this here, okay. Uh, we'll see if we can pull that up. All right. Okay. But the number, uh, most recent number I've heard is uh, somewhere between seventy-five to eighty percent. Okay. All right. Welcome back to the Michael M. Hotep Show right here on the Empowerment Radio Network. Uh, where knowledge is power. Okay. Okay, so let's go back to this statement from uh, Dr. Walter Kimbrell, president of Dillard University. Now, the Pell Grant should be the equalizer. It, it serves 36% of all students, 62% of African-American students, and over 70% attending HBCUs. But the education as a uh, private good philosophy has severely limited its impact on the neediest families. Therefore, we must raise the maximum Pell Grant, which has hit a 40-year low in purchasing power relative to college costs and index it permanently to account for inflation. Okay? He's saying this, these are some things... Um, President Walter Kimbrell, president of Dillard University, is saying should happen. Now, this is understanding politics. One way to understand politics, the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources. Over 70%, basically about 75% of African Americans attend HBCUs on Pell Grants. So increasing the funding for Pell Grants is extremely important. So he said... Uh, therefore, we must, one, raise the maximum Pell Grant, which has hit a 40-year low in purchasing power relative to college costs and index it permanently to account for inflation. Two, restore year-round year Pell Grants that enable students to finish college faster and with less debt. And three, remove time limits to benefit growing numbers of part-time students who may require more than 12 semesters to graduate. Remove time limits to benefit growing uh, number, a growing number of students of part-time students. Remove time limits to benefit a gr growing numbers of part-time students who may require more than 12 semesters to graduate. Okay. Now, uh, he goes on to say, uh, uh, Pell, Pell, Pell Grants. Pell is a great investment, especially at HBCUs, where new studies indicate we do the best job, as Brookings noted. Okay, the Brookings Institute. As Brookings noted, quote, vaulting lowest income kids into the top quintile as adults, end quote. Pell is a vehicle to prevent hallucinations of opportunity while helping to fuel HBCUs, engines of social and economic mobility, driving families toward the American dream. Okay, so this is from uh, Walter Kimbrell, Dillard University. 
all right, Walter Kimbrough Dillard University. Um, and this is my statement, White House HBCU event. My statements, this is dealing with the White House HBCU event, okay? And uh, we're going to post this here. We'll post this here on the thread. Just a second. HBCUs. All right. Let me create a file folder for this. All right. And uh, we'll post this here on the thread. Okay. So how's everybody doing on Facebook? I don't know where everybody is. Um. So share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. And those watching on Facebook will uh, post this broad. We'll share this uh, here on the broadcast. Okay, now we're still broadcasting live. We should still be broadcasting live. Okay. All right, so Loretta Dillingham is watching. Okay, so let's go to this clip here. We're going to wrap it up here in a few minutes. Let's go to this clip here. This is from News One Now with Roland Martin yesterday morning, Wednesday morning. Uh, Roland interviewed Amarosa Manigault. Uh, uh, they did this on uh, News One Now and they simulcast it on the uh, Time Zone Morning Show. And they talked about the executive order. What is in Donald Trump's executive order on HBCUs? Um, I'm a, I'm a Rosa Manigault, director of communications for the office of public liaison explains, um, during this interview, let's go to this clip. Well, let's just say it's still, still leaving a lot to desire, but to understand what is in the executive order, let's talk to the person who actually played a significant role in getting it done. Omarosa Manigault, who of course is a special assistant to the president. Uh, Omarosa, good morning. Good morning, Roland. Good morning, all the listeners. So first and foremost, what what is actually in the executive order? What is different? What has changed? Well, Roland, I'm so glad that you asked because I've been hearing people report about what's in the order. And um, to my knowledge, the only people who have had a chance to actually see the final one, myself, the president, of course, the staff secretary. So let's go through what's in it as opposed to what is rumored to be in it and not in it. First and foremost, an executive order is a directive given by the president to federal employees, agencies, agency heads, department heads, and secretaries. So this is not a directive to Congress. We don't have that executive power to do that. But it tells the agencies what the president wants to get done and how he wants to do it. And so the first and most important point to make is that this president has done this within the first 40 days of his presidency, making action for historically black colleges and universities priorities. The first thing we did, and you've heard a lot about this, so let's start there. We've moved the executive director from three tiers down, which is where Barack Obama had the director in the Department of Education, who had to report to three other people before the Secretary of Education ever heard what he had to say. So that executive director will be housed and sitting in the White House as a part of the senior team that advises what's happening with HBCUs. Why is that important? That's important because we don't have to go through four tiers of bureaucracy to find out what's happening with our students in historically black colleges and universities. That person has direct access to the senior team, senior advisors, and affecting the policies that will affect how we improve the conditions of historically black colleges and universities. That's huge. The second thing that we did, and, and I think probably the most important thing,
thing is to require each agency, each single agency head, to allocate funds, support, and personnel to historically black college and university initiatives. Now, right now, I believe that um, the former administration had liaisons. They had other jobs to do. In addition to their other jobs to do, they had uh, the title of HBCU liaisons. The individuals that we will have will strictly work on historically black college and university initiatives. Uh, the other thing that I'm most excited about is convening the uh, annual summit, but having that White House summit here in the White House. That never happened during the last eight years. That's going to happen for the first time Omarosa. in this White House. Uh, I got a statement from the UNCF. They talked about what was included in it and what was not. Well, they don't know. I, wait, let me stop you before you even read that statement. UNCF does not have the document that's in front of me. Okay, so, so let me ask you a question then. It's speculative. Okay, well, let me ask no, you a question. I'll listen to your statement. No, 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 no. It's not a statement. The final one. No, it's just a question. Okay. It's just a question. Sure. They said uh, that uh, they wanted uh, committing an aspirational goal for HBCUs to be awarded 5% of total federal grant internship and cooperative agreement funding and 10 percent of total federal contract funding awarded to colleges and universities, which would nearly double federal support to HBCUs and backing up the federal funding goals with concrete commitments for annual funding growth at each federal agency reflected in agency budgets. Uh, was, is that in the is that in? OK, let me back to let me let me just repeat what uh, Roland said. The UNCF, they talked about what was included in it and what was not. Well, they don't know. I, wait, let me stop you before you even read that statement. UNCF does not have the document that's in front of me. Okay, so, so let me ask you a question then. It's speculative. Okay, well, let me ask no, you a question. I'll listen to your statement. No, 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 no. It's not a statement. Final one. No, it's just a question. Okay. It's just a question. Sure. They said uh, that uh, they wanted uh, committing an aspirational goal for HBCUs to be awarded 5% of total federal grant internship and cooperative agreement funding and 10% of total federal contract contract funding awarded to colleges and universities, which would nearly double federal support to HBCUs and backing up the federal funding goals with concrete commitments for annual funding growth at each federal agency reflected in agency budgets. Uh, is, that in the, is that in the executive order? The executive order does not, as you know, that, that's not the role of the executive order, nor do we have the power to do that. That's in the budget, and you know how government works. We're still right now negotiating the budget, and the official budget will not even be presented for the next 30 days. So that's, I think that that's understanding how the process works. We direct what the president's priority is, and then the budget process that's going on right now will determine that funding. But, of course, I requested more than 5% for increases in these programs. I think that having gone to three black colleges, I know for a fact that 5% is not enough. So I appreciate their submission of 5%, but I believe that we need a 7 to 9% increase in those programs. Speaking of going and we'll be portion And we'll be portioning for those increased fundings from my. Yeah. Speaking of going to HBCU, uh, Howard University is one of them. I'm joined right now by Greg Carr, uh, Director of Afro-American Studies Program at Howard University. Dr. Carr, uh, you have a question for Omarosa. Your thoughts about this executive order? Well, yeah, Ms. Menigo, and we know that this is hey, not... Dr. Um, Carr, how are you? I'm fine. Good how are you? Good to talk to you again. Good to Good talk thing. to you as well. Yes, um, we, we know, of course, that uh, this isn't unusual. Since Jimmy Carter, we've seen these, these executive orders. I have one very specific question as it relates to what Roland, we were asking relative to the, uh, the UNCF uh, suggestions, and that involves Pell Grants, uh, particularly the UNCF's urging to simplify 
um, and well, to restore, increase, and protect Pell Grants. And I know that uh, President Walter Kimbrough of uh, Dillard University said wait, wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. Let you, me stop. Let me stop before you ask uh, too many questions. Let's no, 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 no. That's it. That's it. I'm just saying the, okay. the Pell Grant Let's, issue. Could you could you take that up? Let's start with Pell Grants because I, you know, I was so saddened by the decision of the previous administration, not just to change Pell Grant lending, but the Why do you have to bash Obama to pump up Trump? No, no, no. Let's be very clear. I have to give you the data so that you know. Don't cut me off because I need to finish my statement. I have to give you the data so that you know the changes that we made. Like you said, this is not a new initiative. But why would we need to do in the first 30 days? No, no, no. no. Not Obama. I'm asking asking you about what you all are going to do. The changes for Pell Grants affected 128,000 students at HBCUs. The decision to change Parent PLUS loans resulted in 128,000 students to have to drop out Absolutely. of HBCU. I, 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 Don't take my word. Google no, no, no. I, 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 hold, hold, Google one hold, hold, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. One second. One second. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. I know. I know. But Omar Rose, hold on. That 128,000 dropping out, uh, that is not a number that I am familiar with. No, uh, no, 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 no. Omarosa. Omarosa. Omarosa, the, Omarosa, the number that I have received from the Thurgood Marshall Fund, from UNCF, and from others, the number has 28,000. Tom, you had a question, I believe. Go ahead. Tom? Hold tight one second. Tom, 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 go ahead. Why do you have to bash Obama to boost Trump? Because, right. Because what he did to black colleges is shameful. It's shameful that black students had to drop out of school because this, that previous administration didn't care enough to know that if you cut Pell Grants, if you cut Parent PLUS loans, you would affect the attendance, the quality of education at black colleges. And nobody wants to call Tell me what you're going to do about right. Pell Grants. Tom, wait, wait, wait. No one wants to call out what the previous administration did. Uh, actually, hold up, Omarosa. Hold up, Omarosa. Omarosa, Omarosa, hold on one There's second. Four people yelling at me. No, they're not yelling at you. I, let me be clear, Marosa. On this show, on TV One and the Tom Jordan Morning Show, we were extremely critical. Tom wrote letters and met with the president directly. So you can't tell this audience that no one was critical when we were leading the voice of challenging the administration when it came to Pell Grants. Now, Tom asked the question. No, no, no. Tom asked the question. Tom asked the question. Somebody just asked me about Pell Grants. No, 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 no. Hold up. Tom asked the question Will this administration advocate in its budget? to restore the what UNCF or others are asking for Pell Grants. Absolutely. You know how much unclaimed Pell Grant money went? Can I can I mention the last eight years or no that's not allowed? No, it's because unclaimed Pell Grant lets you know how difficult the previous administration made for students to get the Pell Grant. So there's a ton of unclaimed Pell Grant money. So yes, not only are we going to restore the Pell Grant program so that it's not so difficult, the criteria aren't impossible for students to get the education that they need, Roland. It is, to me, baffling that people do not recognize the high numbers. When I looked at the numbers of Pell Grant Fund that was left over from the previous administration administration because of those restrictions, absolutely we're going to lift that. And students will be able to fund their education at historically black colleges and universities. When will we be able to look at the executive order that was signed yesterday? So we are disseminating the executive order today so that people can speak on fact as opposed to what they're, you know, what they're stating is in it when they've never seen it. And then it goes into effect in 30 days. 30 days from today? Yeah, all executive orders go into effect after from 30 today. days. Or from yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday is when we signed it, Sybil.
All right. Well, again, we'll, we'll know, once 30 days, uh, we'll be asking those questions. And certainly we'll be looking for the budget proposal uh, the Trump administration submits to Congress. We will definitely Congress. do better for black college students. Trust me. Well, and I, well, and I, experience for the last eight years. And, I, and I'll, say th- I'll, I'll, I'll say this, Omarosa. I'll say this, Omarosa. I'll say this. You can ask Obama folks this here. We held their feet to the fire, and we will hold Trump's as well. That's a guarantee. Thank right. you, Roland. All right. Rosa, thanks a lot. I hope she's well paid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I know you want to go through that radio on that one, boy. All right, Tom. A peaceful protest turned deadly. 37-year-old black man was shot and killed by Baton Rouge police. His hands are in the air. And you still get shot by the cops. Oh my God, please don't tell me he's dead. We're not going to let hate define us. Race is a big part of this. If truly all lives matter, then all lives need to matter equally. What we require is action. What we require is accountability. We understand that black lives do matter. We will keep focused on this issue. News One Now, every weekday morning at 7 on TV One. All right, so that was from yesterday morning, Wednesday morning, March 1st, 2017, News One Now with Roland Martin, okay? All right, and you can see why a lot of people don't like Omarosa. You can see why. You you, you say this stuff attacking the previous administration, then complain, oh, four people are talking at me at the same time. You see why people don't like Omarosa. I'm one of them. I, I can't stand her. Um... Okay, check out the article from HBCU Digest. Maybe we'll have time to get to this tomorrow. Mixed reaction from HBCU leaders on meeting with President Trump. Mixed reaction from HBCU leaders on meeting with President Trump. Um, and in the article, it says, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, okay, read, read that article. That's HBCU Digest. Then also Trump HBCU executive order resembles Obama guidance, but moves colleges closer to presidential review. Trump HBCU executive order um, resembles Obama guidance, but moves colleges closer to presidential review. That's some HBCU digest as well. Okay. Now, there was an interesting post from uh, Dr. Irie Tolson. Okay, and and you know I inter- interviewed Dr. Irie Tolson a few years ago um, on my Blog Talk Radio show, and Dr. Irie Tolson is an associate professor at uh, Howard University, but um, he was the from 2015 to 2016, he was the executive director of the White House Initiative on Historically Black Colleges and Universities from 2015 to 2016 he was executive director of the White House initiative on historically black colleges and universities and um in from 2013 to 2015 he was deputy director of of the White House initiative on historically black colleges and universities he did a post on Facebook uh i think this is from Tuesday okay and here's what he said um he said many now this was about the uh Trump uh, Donald Trump's HBCU um uh executive order okay um okay here's what he said uh many HBCU advocates pushed for this move because they thought it would strengthen the administrative authority 
of the initiative and elevate the stature the, the stature of the executive director but there are two important factors to consider okay number one the move could have the unintended consequence of prioritizing the political functions of the office the move could have the unintended consequences of prioritizing the political functions of the office okay uh i.e clarifying president trump's positions on uh hbcus and other higher education issues um uh, now over the very important administrative functions such as creating and locating opportunities for hbcus across the federal government number two moving the white house initiative on hbcus uh from the department of education to the white house alters the strategic position of the initiative it alters the strategic position of the initiative the department of education is responsible for approximately 700 million dollars to hbcus annually from grants contracts and appropriations and more than three billion dollars annually in student aid okay the Department of Education is responsible for approximately $700 million to HBCUs annually from grants, contracts, and appropriations, and more than $3 billion annually in student aid. The Office of the President is directly responsible for $0 of annual revenue to HBCUs. $0 in annual revenue to HBCUs. So a lot of people are saying that they're not sure if this is going to be beneficial, this move that's taking place, okay? Just because the move is taking place does not mean necessarily it's a good thing, okay? All right, so Brother Kabaka checking in also. Um, and he's going, um, Dr. Ivy Tolson is going to have an article on the root.com. If it's not already here, it's, coming up uh probably maybe tomorrow something like that so look out for that okay dr ivory tolson and i'm on the route dot right now i need to check and see if um his article is here all right now hbcus uh make up um three percent of overall u.s um colleges and universities they graduate 20% of African Americans with uh, college degrees, 50% uh, of African American um, public school teachers, 50% um, of African American public school teachers and attorneys graduate from HBCUs, 80% of African American judges, and 90% of African Americans with bachelor's of arts degrees in the STEM field, science, technology, in engineering, and math. 90% of African Americans with bachelor's degrees in the STEM fields graduate from HBCUs. So HBCUs are very critical. HBCUs are, are extremely important. All right. So, uh, and let me see if this article is here. So it's, uh, okay. All right, so as, uh, everybody on Facebook, how's everybody doing? Hey, uh, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. 
Um, we're about to get out of here. The rest of the stuff we'll have to deal with tomorrow. It's been a very hectic past few days. And, hey, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, uh, email me at uh, info at africanhistorynetwork.com, info at africanhistorynetwork.com. If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, check out this article. Um, Yvette Carnell wrote this back in 2013. HBCUs planning to sue Obama administration over student loan practices. HBCUs planning to sue Obama administration over student loan practices. Check that out also. Okay. Um, okay, so. Dr. Ivory Tolson's uh, Morehouse more at 150. Okay. So it looks like uh, his article was on the root.com yesterday. It was, it was loaded at 3 p.m. Will Trump's executive order be a boon or a bust for HBCUs? Will Trump's executive order be a boon or a bust for HBC, a boon or a bust for HBCUs? Okay, so check that out from the root.com. We'll, we'll probably talk about this tomorrow. All right, I've got to get out of here. Um, let's do this date in African American history. And get out of here, okay? And we'll have these uh, we'll have these shows podcasted tonight at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay, this date in African American history, March second, Howard University, located in Washington D.C., was chartered by Congress on this date in 1867. Also on this date in 1867, it is believed that uh, African Amer African Americans voted. Excuse me. It is believed that African Americans voted for the first time in the South, in Alexandria, Virginia, on this date in 1867. The voting took place despite the fact that some officials refused to count the ballots and question the freedmen's status. The voting took place despite the fact that some officials refused to count the ballots and questioned the freedmen's status. This day in 1888, the Savings Bank, the Savings Bank of the Order of True Reformers was chartered in Richmond, Virginia. This date in 1888. Um, this date in 1919, Cla Claude Albert Barnett founded the Association Negro, the Associated Negro Press. Claude Albert Barnett founded the Associated Negro Press. Uh, this date in uh, 1921, Harry Pace. Harry Pace founded the Pace Phonograph Corporation. This date in 1921. This was the first African American owned and operated record company. Now, if you saw the uh, uh, biopic um, with Queen Latifah on um, uh, Betsy, what was, what was her name? Um, I forgot. But it was uh, Queen Latifah and. Uh, I forgot the lady's name, but she was auditioning for a record contract and you saw her uh, auditioning for one record company and the African-Americans, they were very light skinned. That was Harry Pace. OK, that was Harry Pace uh, in the Pace Phonograph Company. And it was I think it was the Black Swan. Uh, the Black Swan was the uh, record label. We're going to post an article about that from uh, blackden.com. I think it was uh, the Black Swan record label was his record label, but that was in 1921. It's a fascinating story about uh, fascinating story about Harry Pace. Yeah, Black Swan. 
That was the name of it. Black Swan Record Label. Okay. We're going to post this article here. Um, we're going to post this article here in just a minute. And then um, let's see. This date in 1932, Frank E. Peterson Jr., the first African-American brigadier general in the U.S. Marine Corps, was born in Topeka, Kansas, this date in 1932. On this date in 1955, this date in 1955, Claudette Colvin, a 15-year-old African-American high school student in Montgomery, Alabama, refused to give up her bus seat to a white woman, this date in 1955, this act Similar to Rosa Parks Act occurred nine months earlier. Claudette Colvin, ironically, was a student uh, uh, of Rosa Parks NAACP Youth Council. Okay, and she would go on to be one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit of Browder versus Gale, which went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. It was filed um, February 1st, uh, 1956. And it's going to end up ending segregation on the buses in Montgomery, Alabama. On this date in 1962, Wilt Chamberlain, Wilt Chamberlain, Wilt the Stilt, basketball legend, scored 100 po points, the most ever in the NBA game. This date in 1962, Wilt Chamberlain led the Philadelphia Warriors in its win over the New York Knicks. This date in 1972, Dr. Jerome H. Holland was elected to the board of directors of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, this day, 1972, the first African-American person to serve on this board. OK, Dr. Jerome H. Holland uh, was elected to the board of directors of the New York Stock Exchange. And this date in 1977, Joseph E. Lowry was named acting president of the SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership uh, Council, uh, SCLC, succeeding Ralph D. Abernathy. This date in 1977. You create more facts about this date in African history and African-American history at yanoba.com y-e-n-o-b-a yanoba.com alright look we gotta get out of here thanks for tuning in today we'll have the podcast uploaded this evening sometime alright and I wanna let you know I'm doing a uh, live webinar uh, we're doing a live webinar um, Sunday Sunday uh, March 12th, I think it is, Sunday, March 12th, doing a live webinar, um, Redistributing the Pain, How African Americans Historically Fought Back with Economic Boycotts, Redistributing the Pain, How African Americans Historically Fought Back with Economic Boycotts, okay? And uh, we'll have that information uh, this weekend at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can go to the BlackHistorySchool.com and sign up for it. And you can also sign up for the one that I did um, last weekend, uh, this past Sunday, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. This was a busy, I mean, this is a busy weekend I had. Okay. But you can uh, check that out also. All right. Okay. Hey, remember on the Michael M. Hotep show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now this corrects wrong behavior. Uh, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. It's not over till we win. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the show. And everybody on uh, Facebook Live, thanks for tuning in also. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. 
invite your friends to tune in also. All right, here, and what is wrong with this? Okay. All right, talk to you all tomorrow. Peace.